Welcome to another episode of the Dutch Podcast, where integrative medicine providers and patients can learn about hormones and explore the body's most complex communication system. I'm Dr. Jacqueline Smeaton, Chief Medical Officer for Dutch. As a clinician, I focused on fertility and used Dutch testing to uncover the role that hormones play in a couple's ability to conceive. And now on the Dutch Podcast, I'm joined by experts across functional medicine who can help us make sense of our body's hormones and take the guesswork out of treating hormone-related issues. Coming up on this week's episode, we're going to talk about a topic that can really cause massive concern for women, hair loss. Now, if you've ever experienced times where you've had hair loss, or maybe this is occurring for you right now, you know just how much this can dominate your thoughts. There can be a lot of different causes for hair loss, but it's important that if this is occurring, patients seek evaluation because it can be a sign of an imbalance or an even bigger problem. Today's guest is Marcel Pick. Marcel is an OBGYN nurse practitioner and really was a leader way ahead of the curve in functional medicine and in the care of women. She founded the world-renowned Women to Women Clinic in 1983 and was one of the first to be certified in functional medicine. She's offered numerous books, all geared towards helping women move into a true state of wellness. Several books like Is It Me or My Hormones? Is It Me or My Adrenals? And The Core Balance Diet. She serves on the faculty for the Institute of Functional Medicine. I could go on and on, but let's go ahead and get started. (laughs) Thank you so much, Marcel, for joining me today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. The more we can get the education out there, the better. Definitely. And this is a topic that I'm really excited to talk about because It is such an impactful symptom for women. Now, you and I have both been in women's healthcare for a long time, and there's not many more issues that women come into me with that feel this urgent for them, that feel this serious for them. And, and, um, you know, I know so many women that this has, you know, we've experienced this in our life, myself included, even if it's temporary. So how big of a problem is hair loss for women? Like how many women come in to talk with you about that? Oh, it's a huge problem. And I think the thing is that when they have it happen, it just feels overwhelming to them because they're terrified they're going to get bald. And so it affects their self-esteem. It affects, you know, they wear hats to cover it up. They don't know how often to shampoo their hair. They don't know what to do with the hairdresser. They really, really become concerned for good reason because they don't know when the end point is. Sometimes when it starts, they're thinking, oh my gosh, how long is this going to go on? Yeah. I mean, it's so scary. I've even women who experience like the postpartum hair loss that can be very normal as a result of hormonal shifts. It feels like it's never going to end. It feels like you're going to lose so much that it's going to be all gone. It can be really like all in there. I was in, in the middle of an unfortunate uh, business lawsuit and I lost so much hair. I thought, Oh my God, it's never going to come back. And it does, but it's just truly understanding what are the mechanisms that you need to do to take care of that problem. That's so interesting. So that was probably like stress related in a lot of ways. Yeah. Related. Yeah. You make me think about my, go ahead. Oh, my first year of med school, I had lost a ton of hair and I thought it was being exposed to the chemicals in the gross cadaver lab, but could have been stress too. Could have been stress too. Um, And oftentimes it doesn't happen right at the time you're under the stress. It happens afterwards, which is kind of an interesting phenomenon. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of people are like, well, I, when I was stressed, I didn't have any problem. And then afterwards, when things really settle down a bit, that's when people notice the hair loss. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about like what the key drivers are that you see for hair loss in women. And can you help us learn a little bit more about that? 
Sure. I mean, the thing that's important is if somebody is developing hair loss, they really need to get evaluated. I mean, it could be a thyroid issue. People that lose a ton of weight, I have a weight loss program and people lose in my program 99% of the time, 20 pounds in six weeks. It's not a usual symptom, fortunately, in my program, but if they have a lot of weight loss in general, it can cause hair loss as well. And also we know and we see it with, with perimenopausal changes. And one of the things that we also know, the driver can be stress. And the way that that works is cholesterol normally makes cortisol, but it also makes estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and DHEA. And if we have an enormous need for cortisol, it is at the expense of our hormones because we can't live without cortisol. We can live without our hormones, even though, you know, us women would say, are you kidding? I can't, but you can. And what happens then is there's an enzyme called 1720 lyase that actually blocks the conversion to the hormones. So that's how the driver actually occurs with regards to also testosterone levels, because you might have a lower estrogen or progesterone level and testosterone level might go up and that can cause hair loss as well. So that's a driver of stress. The thing that we also see in menopause or perimenopause, which can be about 13 years prior to that last menstrual period, again, the same issue. Because estrogen levels come down, progesterone usually plummets before estrogen does, mm -hmm. and that that also can drive up testosterone levels that can also increase the hair loss. So it's really starting to understand what is that dynamic. And nutrition can be a part of it too. If one's mm -hmm. eating the same food over and over and you have digestive issues, you're not absorbing nutrients properly, and you may have something called dysbiosis or leaky gut syndrome, all of those things can prevent absorption so you might not be getting the nutrients, even if you're taking a supplement that you can really have help with hair growth. Mm. Are there certain nutrients that come to mind for you when you think about hair health for women or, or common deficiencies associated with that? Absolutely. I mean, the other thing we have to talk about is if you're anemic, that also can contribute to hair loss as well. So that's why it's so helpful to get mm -hmm. a foundation of what's the cause of the cause. And what's the problem? Because we automatically can assume things, but we might be wrong about that. So when you understand that dynamic, you, we're sure the gut is fine, you're not anemic, your thyroid is fine, then we have to dig a little deeper and perhaps into the hormones as well and see where we're, where that disconnect is happening. Got it. Okay. So what about times in life where hair loss can be expected? Like are, is, is hair loss during perimenopause normal, for example? Um, or are there other times in life where you see this more commonly where you're like, okay, well, due to what's happening in your life, my level of concern is not sky high? Certainly post-pregnancy. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And also with weight loss. You know, if you're doing a fair amount of weight loss, it usually subsides after that period of time. But biotin is a really important nutrient that we're oftentimes missing and certainly the B vitamins. If you're someone, I'm sure you've had somebody talk about, you know, MTHFR on here. If you are somebody who's homozygous for that, then it's going to be really important that you really work with someone to really help normalize that stability of the B vitamins. And also anemia. You know, if you're anemic and you have low iron levels, that can also contribute to it as well. And also um, dysbiosis, you know, leaky gut issues is oftentimes not talked about with regards to hair loss, but it's important because if you're not absorbing nutrients because you have a very significant, you know, problem with your digestive system, that's going to absolutely contribute to the pieces as well. Pregnancy, yeah, I, have, sorry. I mean, sorry, hair mm -hmm. loss, and then also in perimenopause, it's not unusual. And the amount of hair that we may have younger may not be the same as we get older because the hair follicles do change. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And the hair texture changes a lot too, along with 
Talk about it, that. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, gray. we're experiencing yeah. that gray and wiry and like yeah, just totally yeah, different yeah, than it was. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The whole postpartum thing is so interesting. And, and that's an area that, you know, I hope women can get some reassurance around the fact that even though you feel like it's never going to end, it will end, you know, and part of that is that my understanding is that during pregnancy, all the hormones that you're making keep your body in growth mode. And our hair has a natural cycle where if you pictured it like a clock, it has periods of growth, periods of doing nothing, and then periods of loss, right? So what ends up happening in pregnancy is it's stuck in a period of growth because everything's growing. Your hormones are promoting growth. And then everything that you would have lost for the nine months during pregnancy, you basically lose starting about four weeks postpartum quickly. And it is it is really overwhelming. I mean, you can really see that hair washing down the drain, but that does it lasts what, like six or eight weeks typically for women? Yeah. And, and you then, know, there are things that we know now that you can also help with. And even doing massaging the scalp can really help. Mm. And here's where it comes in with stress. You know, when people have a lot of stress, if you notice the tension in the skull is really, the skin is so tight. So just massaging the scalp can be very helpful. And using um, red lights can be very helpful as well. I have a red light therapy in my office, a contour light, and I will actually reverse it for people that have got hair loss and have the, the kind of the bigger part of the cap be on their head instead of on their face. And oh, that could wow, great. Too. And then we, we do know uh, for men in particular that using the red light therapy on a pretty regular basis like daily can very much stimulate uh, hair growth as well. Now, mm-hmm. can I completely take away the genes and somebody that's kind of gone balding? Probably not. But can it help with um, stabilizing some of that uh, gro- hair growth yet, or getting the hair gro- to grow? Yes, it can. Yeah, that's great to know. And massage is an interesting thing to bring up because I would find that to be counterintuitive. Like a lot of people probably want to leave their hair alone thinking that agitating the scalp or agitating the hair would make it worse, but it actually makes it better. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't want to be really crazy vigorous, but it's just, you know, a very gentle massage is what Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Because a lot of times when people have a lot of stress, they don't realize how much tension they actually have in their skull. It's, it sounds crazy or their head. And so it's just really trying to get that into the relaxation mode along with everything else I'm sure that people are familiar with, but that's one of the, the things that they can also do. And paying attention to it and not being terrified of it. I mean, I think that's the piece that's important is it's unusual for somebody to have alopecia. It does happen. Um, and there's some interesting literature now looking at the association between alopecia, autoimmune disorders, and the gut microbiome. So there's kind of more interesting literature. There are some studies that have been done um, with uh, children, believe it mm-hmm. or not, that had alopecia. And they were actually, this is going to sound really horrible, but there were types of uh, nematodes that they were actually given that were you know, obviously sterile and their hair grew back. So there is an association. Can I directly say, you know, you can go here and get this? Absolutely not. But they are doing studies on this because it really kind of points us to the notion that the microbiome of the gut is related to uh, some of what's going on in the head. Yeah, that's fascinating. And while nematode therapy might not be the first step, you could easily start with something like a probiotic or higher fiber in the diet and things like that to kind of get that going. So that's a great suggestion. So those are the times where you kind of expect to see more hair loss. At what point do you start to really be worried about a woman thinking, okay, this really warrants more workup? 
So if I'm seeing somebody in the office and I see her a couple of times, I might just do some basic blood work, you know, a CBC looking to make sure she's not anemic, doing a folic acid, you know, or a folate uh, level, uh, ferritin level, and maybe some thyroid testing. I tend to do more thyroid evaluation than most. I would do a TSH, free T3, free T4, thyroid antibodies, and total T3. So I'm really looking at the big picture. And oftentimes, if they have a lot of stress, I'll do a reverse T3 because that oftentimes, in my opinion, is missed. And if I see all that's normal um, and they don't really have a lot of stress, then I might give them a little time, depends on where they are in their life cycle. And then if we really start seeing patches and things like that, we really have to get a little bit more aggressive. And I might actually even refer them to an endocrinologist for things that I perhaps were missing uh, to just to make sure that there's nothing there. In the meantime, I'm going to be talking about stress reduction. I'm going to be looking at their nutrition. I might add some collagen as well. Um, and there are hair products that are effective. I mean, they really are. And they also, you know, for some people that do peptide therapy, that can be very helpful as well. That's not my specialty, but it is uh, some of my colleagues that do it that have had great results with that too. So the good news is compared to 20 years ago, we have a lot more in the way of, well, you know, one of, one of the options we might want to try is this, this, and this. Mm. Your answer brought up like so many more questions for me. So thanks for that. So the collagen I'd love to ask you about specifically, because that's been like a social media trend. There's one particular brand of like a liquid collagen that seems to have like taken the world by storm around hair loss and people post before and after pictures and it really shows a high level of success. But this is like a hundred dollars for a 30 day supply, which is a lot of money for collagen. So I'd love to know more about your experience with collagen. Like, do you think it's helpful? Do you need to spend the money on this really expensive kind or are there others that, you know, will do the job? So here's the thing that's really important from my perspective. And that is that we're all different. You know, one of the things that I do in my practice, I do a genetic profile when people have lost the weight. So they know what to do after they have the weight off. Some people do great with keto. Some people do great with low fat, believe it or not. Some people do Mediterranean. Some people do more balanced. So within the context of that, what works for you might not work for me. It sounds mm-hmm. like I don't know this product, but collagen has been very helpful for skin for women for a while and also certainly to stimulate hair. Is this product better than anything else out there? I'm not a big fan of ever saying that because that means that one size fits all and I just don't practice that way and I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. If somebody's really wanting to, they see the before and afters, they absolutely convinced, perhaps trialing it if $100 is not a real lot for that particular person to see does it make a difference. The problem is you might not notice a difference in, in a month and that's the issue. So um, I think it's looking at reviews. I think it's looking to see um, if there's a Facebook group, you know, what the conversation really is about and seeing if this is something that they're willing to do. Can I, do I think that collagen has an impact in terms of our overall well-being? Uh, I do. And longevity, absolutely. But it's one of many things. It's not just mm-hmm. that. And I think yeah. we tend as a culture to be in isolation. <gasps> this is the answer. Oh my God, this is it. Like, no, didn't quite work that way. So, um, you know, I, I tend to, to be a little bit more reticent with saying this is the end all. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't life be so much easier if there was just one answer and medicine in particular? I mean, I think (laughs) those of us that do functional medicine do it because we actually see that the conventional medical model, which is trying to put out one answer for everyone, doesn't always work, right? And I think we tend to see the patients where it doesn't work. So we see those, I'd call them outliers, but it's kind of one of those things where like the only thing that's normal 
in our biology is that we're all outliers in some way, shape or form. Um, great. I mean, that's a really good tip. And when I'm looking at products, I've done a lot of work with supplements in my day, as I'm sure you have too. I always encourage people to take a look at the actual ingredients in the product. So for example, with this one product, I did find that like the exact type of collagen I could find in other products as well. Now it wasn't a liquid, they were capsules that might be better for some people or not. But if you are seeing great results with something, if you look at the back of the bottle and you see what the ingredients are, you should be able to find, as long as it's another good quality brand, something similar at a different price point. And sometimes like when it comes to herbs, we're going to get an off topic, but when it comes to herbs, I think you have to be really careful because quality and the way they're extracted makes a big difference. But with nutrients like biotin or vitamin D or vitamin C, there's a lot more standardization now. Collagen, I, I don't know if I would consider that the processing to be super unique or whether it's more similar than dissimilar across mm-hmm. brands. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would always kind of take a look at that because you're right. Like when you mention doing a, a might, you might not notice a change in one month, you might need to do three months and then that becomes a $300 experiment. Right. So. Exactly. No question. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I'm a, a little bit of a stickler for the company that actually produces things because mm-hmm. I have been around for a long time, as you said, and went to many of the manufacturing companies to look at, you know, who's really doing it with, uh, you know, um, the highest quality production, similar to a pharmaceutical grade. And there are some that do, and there are some that don't. Yeah. So I think well, that's the other piece that we always have to be mindful of is, you know, are you getting pharmaceutical grade product? And yeah, it's eye-opening, isn't it? I mean, I've gotten yeah. the chance to do that through my kind of prior life in the supplement world probably been to 30 or 40 manufacturing facilities. And it is, there's a big difference in quality between the best and the worst, even in this industry. So. And the unfortunate part is there is an association with cost in there. So if somebody, you know, as a company that's, they batch assay every, you know, every batch, they're truly quality controlled. They charge more and they have to, because they have more in, in terms of what they've got into the product to begin with. Yeah. I had one colleague that worked for like the the industry side and he was out one day at the dollar store getting like party supplies or something and saw that they had a wall of supplements available in the dollar store. So he went through and picked a couple, you know, he picked fish oil and he picked, you know, a couple other things. And because it's in the industry, he knows all these lab players and he said, Hey, would you guys test this? So one example, I know they looked at, it was a bottle of fish oil, And he sent it off for testing and it actually was soybean oil. There was not a single bit of EPA or DHA in it. So it really stinks, but like you do get what you pay for when it comes to supplements. It's not a place that I would try to skimp and save if you're really wanting to get a positive impact on them. And that certainly will be uh, one of the things that's very important for hair as well. Because if you're using a supplement and say, well, it didn't even work, we have to make sure that that supplement truly, truly is good quality. And the reality is that sometimes one product might not work for you, even though it is good quality. So sometimes it does take a little experimenting, not experimenting, but trial and error to see what's more effective. Because we are different with different constitutions and different biochemistry and different stress levels, you know, that also affect our entire being. Definitely. Um, So when it comes to that thorough workup for a woman who's experiencing hair loss, you mentioned thyroid so important. And, you know, generally if you see hyper or hypothyroidism, um, then we tend to treat that medically, you know, that requires 
support from a physician or nurse practitioner. Um, second, you had mentioned nutritional deficiencies. You mentioned anemia, you know, an iron deficiency state. So if you've ruled out those kind of major medical causes, do you typically test hormones also, or do I you go based would. upon phase of life? Yeah, no, it would depend on where they are in their, in their life, what kind of hormones they're using for birth control, if they are, because that's going to really affect it as well. And um, if I'm going to be doing estrogen levels, I'll probably do it on around day seven of that cycle. And if mm-hmm. I'm doing things like progesterone, so it's on around day 22 of a cycle, if they're having cycles. If they're menopausal, it doesn't really matter. If I'm going to be repeat that testing, I'll try to do it on the fourth of the month or the fifth of the month on a you know somewhat regular basis to get a sense about what those numbers are. I'm also going to be looking at adrenals because that's going to be a key piece to this as well in terms of cortisol production. And I'm going to be looking at DHT as well. So I'm going to be I'm going to be looking at the big picture, free and total testosterone too, and it doesn't matter where they are in their cycle or menopausally if I do that, or DHEAS if I'm doing blood work. And if I'm doing saliva, I'm going to be looking at DHEA levels. So I'm going to be looking at a composite of all the hormones. But if they're cyclic, I'm going to do it according to where they are. Otherwise, you're not going to get valid levels. That's the problem because estrogen goes up, the first part of the cycle goes down, and then progesterone goes up. So you want to match that as much as possible if you can. And as a preacher, we say we, it doesn't matter. You know, your hormones are going up and down all, all the time. It doesn't matter. Well, we, we do. We do know kind of a, a sense of when you're having a cycle, what to look for. And, and uh, post-menopausal, um, the numbers are pretty much flat or flatlined unless they're on hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk a little bit more about androgens because you've talked about them a couple of times. But I want to make sure that listeners are really clear. Like, there can be a couple of issues for androgens that can lead to hair loss, right? Like you'd mentioned them being high mm-hmm. in general. You also mentioned DHT. Can you talk a little bit about DHT? So one of the things that we see, uh, in particular, we see this for men, that they have high DHT levels. And those are the men that oftentimes have a huge amount of hair loss. And that all of these hormones are kind of integrated together. And if you see somebody that has a high testosterone level, um, oftentimes they will have it mitigated with a DHT. So we um, oftentimes in women, we don't think we need or have testosterone on board, and we do. And we don't want to have high amounts of testosterone because that can absolutely lead to hair loss. And what interesting thing is, if you have an enormous amount of stress, oftentimes you'll see testosterone levels are elevated. So um, and I try not to get too bound with numbers, and I look at the whole composite of, of the picture. You know, um, minoxidil is one of the things that we use for hair loss or spirolactone for some people. But the unfortunate part with that is if you start using that, you oftentimes can't stop because when you stop, then you don't have the hair loss, the uh, hair growth coming back. Mm-hmm. So that can be a significant problem because then you're almost, you're so excited because you have hair, but you stop using it and then you're back down that street. So I use that as an end, uh, end mm-hmm. point for people. And I'm more inclined to say, let's try other things first. Yeah. See if you can like fix the problem before you get to that. Correct. Yeah. And Great, again, so, the same thing we do in functional medicine, looking at the cause of the cause. What happened? How do we get here? Yeah. And I know it's tough because for every single patient in front of you, it's going to be a different answer to the same question, right? Because it's the way the symptom shows up, you know, that's just a symptom, but you have to look internally to see what's unique, you know, what's uniquely happening. So, you know, I know you can't doctor listeners here on a podcast, but are there any lifestyle or nutritional strategies that are just a really good start for women who might have some concern about hair loss? 
Um, the good news is they have now complexes with biotin in them that can be really helpful for hair loss. However, if you have blood work done, you need to probably stop it a couple of days beforehand. It can actually change blood values that can be problematic that really aren't problematic at all. I'm also going to be someone that says you need to have adequate protein in your diet. Um, people, and this is where we get into a whole lot of controversy that are vegetarian, sometimes don't have enough protein in their diet that really helps support um, growth of hair. And the kind of shampoo you use can make a difference. The amount of stress that you have, looking at hormone levels and adrenal levels, all of these things can be extremely helpful in trying to navigate what the problem is. Do I do that first line? I don't. I kind of look at where they are initially. And then if I start to see that there's more of a problem, then I might do more blood work and get into kind of a, a deeper evaluation. But the truth is some people are so worried and so nervous, I might do that right up front. Yeah, that makes sense. And gosh, you know, when you're lo when you're losing hair and if it's stress related, there's not much more that could cause more stress. Than no, you're looking at your hand. Oh my God, oh my God, what am I going to do? And that just makes it worse. I know. But yeah, focusing on that stress mitigation. And even if, it, if you can't change your thought process, you can do things like aim to get more sleep, aim to get exercise, go for walks, connect with nature, like all meditation, all these things that we know can lower stress hormones, even in someone who feels like they're go, 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 or having those kind of more anxious thoughts around hair loss or anything. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Great. But it's reassuring to know we can change it generally. Definitely. So. Definitely. Well, if, yeah. Now, if people want to learn more about your practice or where to get your books, where can they find out more about you? Sure. So I'm not seeing people one-on-one -on -one anymore. I'm doing more high-end consulting um, and I have a weight loss program and I have an adrenal program and they can go to marcelpick.com. I have a newsletter that I write two to three times a week. And um, that's probably the best way. They can go on Amazon. All three books are available on, on Amazon as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And thank you to all of our listeners who tuned in. I know you got a lot of fantastic tips about how to handle hair loss in women. Come back next week for more hormone education just like this. And if you're enjoying the Dutch podcast, please help us spread the word by commenting and sharing it wherever you listen. Don't forget to also follow at Dutch Test on Instagram and Facebook for news, education, and provider resources. And if you're a healthcare provider struggling to find answers to complex patient concerns, registering as a Dutch provider can give you the tools you need to profoundly change the lives of your patients. Dutch providers receive advanced hormone education, comprehensive test results, clinical support, and much, much more. Just visit DutchTest.com and click on providers at the top of the page and we'll help you get started. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.